is from Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Um, and again, it's Mark chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor and they scolded her but Jesus said leave her alone why do you trouble her she has done a beautiful thing to me for you always have the poor with you and whenever you want you can do good for them but you will not always have me she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial and I truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray the him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. May God bless the reading of his word. Morning, Crossbridge. Uh, you, you might have to bear with my voice this morning. Uh, our college fellowship, ICF, had too much fun yesterday baking pies and picking apples, so we're all trying to re recover. <laughs> I want to begin this morning by asking you guys to think about the last thing that you splurged on. What was the last thing that you bought where you kind of told yourself, you know what, it's okay if I s spend a little bit more money on this. It's worth it. Maybe it was a, a new phone or a, a good meal at that, that restaurant you've been dying to try out. Maybe a, a car with a, a few more extra features. Maybe you, you finally decided to purchase a condo or, or a townhouse or, or, or a home instead of renting. Perhaps it was your last vacation that you went on or that you splurged on and you thought, well, I'm already here, might as well. I know maybe for some of you guys, it wasn't all of these nice, extravagant things, but maybe for, for some of you, it was paying off those student loans. That's the last thing you splurged on, where you thought, you know what, I'm not just going to pay the minimum payment. I'm going to put all this money towards it so I can pay it off. Because, you know, we don't like interest rates, we don't like debt. So you think to yourself, it's going to be worth it in the I know even some of us were, were raving about the cake last week at the 50th anniversary uh, from Wegmans. And we were talking about, yeah, 
that buttercream frosting that was so good and yet so bad for us. Totally worth it. Our passage in Mark today is also on the topic of worth. But God, speaking through Mark today, is asking us intently, how much is Jesus Christ worth to you? So our passage, as Emily read, is from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. And in this passage, as we were reading through it, maybe perhaps you noticed this, that there were two distinct responses to Jesus. The way that Mark lays out this passage is similar to what we've seen before. It's a Mark and sandwich. It's where he takes one story, he, he splits it in half, he inserts another story in the middle. If you guys might recall, it's, it's really similar to that chiasm layout that Elder Chris preached on and, and taught us about a few weeks ago. And in that sermon, he even came up with his own poem to demonstrate this ABA format, something like the one you see in the slide. That's how much he loves you guys. The main difference here is that with this Mark and Sandwich, he, he's taking a story now. He's splitting it in half and, and putting another story in the middle. So the story on the outside really helps us to understand the story on the inside, which is where our focus should be. So in this case, as you can kind of see on the slide, that the story in the middle, it's about this woman, this unnamed woman who, who's worshiping Jesus, who comes with this act of extravagant worship, of devotion to Jesus. And that story is surrounded by two instances of these men, Judas and the Jewish leaders, who are seeking to kill Jesus. So we'll go a little bit deeper, but already I think you can kind of see this contrast that's serving to highlight this act of extravagant worship and devotion from this woman. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be working our way through the text, so I encourage you to follow along either in your personal Bible, in the pew Bibles in front of you, or your phone Bible.
the other slice of bread. And, and there we read in these few verses, Then Judas Iscariot, who is one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. They promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So now what we find in our passage is Judas now. He's one of Jesus' own 12 disciples. And he himself is seeking an opportunity to betray Jesus. This is exactly what the Jewish leaders were looking for. Right? They, they needed an inside man to tell them where Jesus would be. Someone who would know Jesus' whereabouts, where he would be at what time. Because this guy, this Judas, would be with Jesus all the time. He was going to be their own personal find my Jesus. And this way they could go out and arrest Jesus by stealth. Without the people knowing and ultimately kill him. Mark, as, as he's writing uh, this story, he's pretty intentional. And he, as he's recounting these events, he's pretty intentional about pairing Judas with these Jewish leaders. He describes both of them as seeking to arrest him or seeking to betray him. Verse 1 and verse 11. So these two responses of seeking to kill Jesus serves as this inclusio, this book, these bookends for this passage. And so here we, we read about Judas. He goes to the chief priests. Notice the chief priests don't go to him. He goes to them, and he sells Jesus out for some money. How much was Jesus worth to Judas? Not much. Now, Mark's not in, entirely clear that money was the primary motivation for Judas. Obviously, there are probably a number of motives behind all this. But I think Mark's emphasis here what he really wants us to see is that, that Judas had a response to Jesus that was far more like the Jewish leaders than that of this unnamed woman. And the stunning thing here is that when the Jewish leaders heard it, what was their response? They were glad. Literally, they were rejoicing over this news that Judas, one of Jesus' own disciples, who had seen him do miracles, who had seen him speak and teach with authority, this guy, rather than behold Jesus, he decided to betray him. The worth of Christ is met with disdain or devotion. And that leads us to the story in the middle. For it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, 
a year's wage, and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing, a good thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly I say to you that wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Nard. Nard was this ointment that was extracted from this plant from the Himalayas of India. And so the distance alone to import all this added to its value, to its cost. And the roots and the the stems of this plant were used to produce basically this perfume. It was costly. It was precious. It was used only on special occasions to anoint people of honor, just like in our passage today. And the perfume itself was worth more than 300 denarii, and that's about a year's salary. Not a, not a cheap gift. So as we, as we get to the end of the year, you can think about, think about every pay stub you received so far. it all. She's not holding nothing back. She's not holding one last drop back from Jesus. It's kind of like when we, for ourselves, when we try to get every last drop, drop of toothpaste from that tube, to, you know, to get our money's worth. We, we squeeze and we squeeze and we squeeze and then when nothing comes out, then we get like a binder clip or something to, to kind of squeeze out some more. Or if you're like me, since my wife has trained me well, when it comes to our moisturizer, you know, we'll pump and pump until nothing comes out. Then we'll take a pair of scissors, we'll cut it open, take a spoon, start scooping out every single last glob and drop of moisturizer you know, to make it worth it. Every last drop. This woman held nothing back in this extravagant act of worship and devotion. How do the people respond? What a waste. Why are you wasting the perfume on Jesus? Pouring it all out on this man. Nobody needs to be wearing that much perfume or cologne or Axe body spray. You could have taken that and sold it and given it to the poor. And see, the people... You see what they're doing? They're calculating an opportunity cost, right, for you econ majors. By giving the sacrifice to Jesus, the trade-off was a, a large sum of money that could have been used for the poor. And so they exclaim, what a waste. Now, it's a tricky situation, right? We're reading this, and I'm sure some of us feel maybe that tension, 
a little bit uncomfortable because we think, yeah, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't the woman have spent the money on the poor? I mean, it's the poor, right? It's for the greater good, too. There's one of Jesus, one of, them, one of him, and there's so many poor. It's a horrible distribution of resources. At the same time, we're also thinking, well, it's Jesus, right? And why are we even in the situation where we're pitting Jesus and the poor together? So let's, let's see how Jesus responds. Verse 6. You can turn with me in your Bibles. Leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. So in fact, what we find here is that Jesus rebukes them for rebuking her. He says, she's done a beautiful thing to me. Actually, the the words here, beautiful thing, literally says a good deed or a good work. She's done a good work for me or to me. And he gives the reason why. You always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. So Jesus is not saying not to care for the poor. I don't think that's something that that is debated. We've been through Mark, and we know that he does tell his disciples to go and care for the poor. That's not something that usually is disputed. Even even, people who don't believe in Jesus are, are well aware of the fact that Jesus and God cares for the poor. And Jesus, in his statement, it assumes they are regularly caring for the poor through this practice of almsgiving. His point here is one of opportunity, though. Jesus is here right in front of you, not for much longer. He's worth it. And this woman gets it. She's anointing the body with perfumes as part of the the funeral process. You see, whereas the Egyptians, they anointed the the body to embalm it, to prevent it from decaying, for the Jewish people, however, this act of anointing was an act of devotion. And here, you know, she does it a little bit prematurely. she had, she did. She, she gave it all. And it was good to the last drop. And the language used here is very similar to the poor woman, the poor widow who came and put in two, two small copper coins just a couple of chapters ago. And so there we read in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, this poor widow, out of her poverty has put in everything She had. What she had, she did. She gave. All she had to live on. And so here we have two examples of of discipleship. Two women who gave what they had. 
One offered two coins worth a fraction of a penny. The other offered a perfume worth a year's salary. Two extreme examples of discipleship, of of what it means to follow Jesus. Two examples that were different in quantity, but what remained the same was this. They poured out their life to God. The worth of Christ is met with disdain or devotion. Judas sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. The woman here seizes an opportunity to behold Jesus. I like how one commentator put it. Judas sacrifices his faith for a sum of money. The woman sacrifices a sum of money for her faith. And so this leads to the second point this morning. The point that that Mark is driving home through this passage. Jesus is worth every last drop of our worship. Jesus is worth every last drop of our worship. What does this mean exactly? I think for one, moderation might be key, but not when it comes to Christ. I mean, we hear that a lot, right? It's a maxim that we tend to use in a variety of scenarios. Moderation is key. Moderation in all things. Moderation when it comes to work-life balance, when it comes to eating desserts, drinking coffee, doing this or doing that. Moderation when it comes to time spent on video games, even. Moderation, moderation, moderation. Except when it comes to... To Christ. George Whitfield wrote in one of his letters, Christ is worth all or he is worth nothing. That's really challenging to hear when he puts it like that. The worth of Christ is met with either disdain or devotion. And if Jesus is worth it all, He demands our all. Can there be too much faith? Can there be too much God? I I know we know the answer is no, of course not. But, you know, I I admit, and and maybe some of you feel this way too, that sometimes there's something holding us back from all-out devotion and worship to God. Because when push comes to shove, sometimes we convince ourselves, whoa, you know, hold on a minute. Let's, let's settle down. Let's not get carried away with our love for Jesus. And, and so what we end up with sometimes is this hokey-pokey Christianity. Right? I, some of you know the song, that you put your right foot in, put your right foot out, put your right foot in again, shake it all about. Do the hokey-pokey and you turn yourself around, that's what it's all about. Now, what might that look like for us today? I think when, when I was thinking about this sermon, this passage, whenever, whenever we talk about sacrificial acts of worship for God, of giving our all to God, it's, it's difficult sometimes to pinpoint specific examples for us. At least for me. Why? Because, because this act of uh, extravagant worship worthy of Christ might look different when it comes from you 
or me or the person sitting next to us. And that makes sense when we consider the entirety of the Gospel of Mark, when we consider the two women that he's written about, who, uh, on the one hand, one gave a year's salary, another gave a fraction of a penny. Yet Jesus commends both of them. Because he sees more than just the act, he sees their heart. He's, they're pouring out their life for God. And on the surface, it might look differently. But when we go a little bit deeper, we see it's coming from this place of worship, of devotion, of seeing Jesus, that he is worth every last drop of our worship. Now, that's not to say that, you know, there can be no examples. I think in one sense, when we're held back from Christ is perhaps sometimes when we see our relationship with God, our faith, merely as a hobby, a side project, when we treat God as a supplement to our life rather than as the main thing. But actually, that's, that's not what it's all about, according to Mark. It's not just about putting our right foot in and then our right foot out, so on and so forth. Mark puts forth this woman as this example of the cost of discipleship. Jesus is worth every last drop of our worship. So let's take a moment this morning just to, to ask ourselves, what might be keeping you from devotion to Christ? What might be keeping me from devotion Jesus is worth every last drop of our worship. And in our passage now, we also see that these good works for Christ comes from grasping the worth of Christ. Jesus called what the woman did a beautiful thing. That is a good deed, a good work to and for Christ. And he commends her saying, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she's done will be told in memory of her. Throughout Mark's gospel, he uses the word gospel a few times. And if you're going to look at all these verses, each time he uses it, for the most part, it's in connection with this idea of suffering. So here's one really obvious example. So in Mark 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 35, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Why will what the woman be, has done be told wherever the gospel is proclaimed? Because the good work that she did for Jesus was out of an understanding of what Jesus came to do. Namely, to suffer for us. To be a sacrifice for the sins of many. This woman, she, she grasped the worth of Christ. Which led her to offer such an extravagant act of worship to the one who would not always be in front of her. Now, what does this mean for us today? Now, Jesus is gone now in the sense that he's, he's seated at the right hand of God. Now, I can't physically pour a bottle of expensive perfume on his head anymore. And so, perhaps a secondary level of application, by implication perhaps, is, well, Jesus' own words in verse 7. 
For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. That's one way for us. To care for the poor. At the same time, we must remember that whatever good works we do, whether for the poor or the church or others, we do not to save ourselves, but we do so having grasped the infinite worth and good news of Jesus Christ. This is God's word to us through Mark today, that Jesus is worth every last drop of our worship. Let's pray.